So uh, have you ever read a book and you just decided that you wanted to know what was going to happen at the end and you just went all the way to the end and read it? Do you do that? Well, for uh, several weeks leading up to uh, Passover, which is the day that Jesus was uh, executed on the cross by the Romans, the day that Jesus was given as our Passover lamb by the Father, uh, we were following the holy history. And uh, we can say that it's a narrative, but that doesn't mean that it is a, uh, a fictional narrative. It is a historical narrative. It's what really happened uh, when God interacted in human history, interacted with his people. Um, last week, we could say that we skipped ahead to the, uh, the conclusion, the climax of holy history, when uh, we looked at Jesus' resurrection. But I want to jump back into holy history again. Uh, I, I've been praying and thinking about it, and I'm going to keep praying every week. But uh, here's my plan at the, at the moment. My plan is to follow the children of Israel uh, through the desert to Mount Sinai and maybe all the way to the edge of the Promised Land before we hit Pentecost, which is 50 days after um, Passover. And uh, it is the day that uh, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit was given. The tongues of fire divided and landed on the heads of the 120. And they were filled with the Spirit and they spoke in tongues and prophesied and so forth. Um, but uh, there is uh, an integral connection between what happened to the children of Israel in what we refer to as the Old Testament and what has happened to us since the, the giving of the Holy Spirit. Um, there are lessons for us to learn, certainly, and I'm going to take a practical direction on this always. I'm going to take the story apart and not just relate history as important as this history is. I'm not going to just relate history to you. I'm going to try my very best to get you to apply it, to, to let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Um, and uh, so we're going to look... Uh, today at what took place immediately after that first Passover. Now remember, Passover is called Passover because the death angel was going to come and take the life of every firstborn in Egypt except for the children of Israel who would believe and obey God and offer that Passover lamb and then put the blood on the lintel and the doorposts of their home. And then the death angel would pass over them. Well, it was this final plague, this great tragic event that finally forced Pharaoh to expel the people of Israel. There was no time. It was, you get out now. You get out tonight. Pack your bags and go. Moses had been going to Pharaoh for months, literally. We think that the, the 10 plagues probably lasted over a period of months. And uh, Pharaoh would hedge and say no, and then he would say, okay, well, you can go, but just your men can go, not the women. Uh, okay, you can go, the men and the women can go, but you can't take your livestock with you. And of course, the whole point behind God seeking to get Pharaoh to let the people go into the wilderness and offer the sacrifice was to get them to be, uh, be free of their bondage altogether. Um, but it took the 10th plague, the, the, the uh, destruction of the firstborn in Israel, to get Pharaoh to uh, let the people go. Um, 
when the Lord saves you, when the Lord acts in your life, he does so without delay. And that is exactly what happened. A lot of times we wait and wait and wait, right? We have these prayer requests. We ask God for certain things in our lives. And it seems like God is never going to answer the prayer. He's never going to do what we ask him to do. But when he does, he will do it all at once without delay. And that's exactly what happened with the, the children of Israel. So there is a feast that is observed after Passover, um, and it's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And for a week after the day of preparation, the day that the, the Passover lamb is slain, which was Nisan 14, beginning on Nisan 15, and for one week, the people would eat only unleavened bread. Now, that doesn't mean they wouldn't eat other things as well, but they were to have no leaven in their homes at all. Leaven came to represent sin. Leaven represents being puffed up, self-reliant, right? That's what we see it as now. But what happened was the people were expelled from Egypt so quickly that they didn't even have time to let their bread rise. They took their dough and they just put it in sacks and slung it over their, their shoulders and they got out of Egypt. So the lesson behind that is that the Lord delivers, and when he does, he does it by his own hand. He doesn't require human help. Now, that doesn't mean that he doesn't use human beings at times, but he doesn't require human help. When you're crying out to the Lord to save you, it is the Lord who saves you. It is the Lord who will save you. It is the Lord to whom you are, uh, upon whom you are to rely. Um, here's what it says uh, in Exodus 12, 39. For by a strong hand, the Lord brought us uh, brought, uh, brought us out of Egypt. So uh, that's the Lord's hand. That is his hand of deliverance. Um, they'd have to rely on the Lord, and we've got to trust God. When he leads, recognize that he provides. They didn't know what was going to happen. They're being driven out into the wilderness. There's no water out there. There's no food out there. Yes, they had their bread that they had pre-prepared, you know, pre but how long is that going to last? I mean, there was just nothing except get out of Egypt, you're free now, follow, uh, follow Moses who is seeking to follow God. They would have to rely on the Lord and we have to trust God when he leads us. And when he leads you, friend, he will provide. So I hear these ministries on television and uh, used to be radio and, and whatnot, and they're constantly begging for money. We're gonna have to shut down. We don't know what we're gonna do. You need to give, you need to give. Well, we all need to give to support ministry, right? But the reality is, if God has called that ministry into existence, God is going to supply it for that ministry, period. We've been rolling for 23 years now, and there's just no real human effort behind this affair. And that's not to say you guys aren't helping. You are, and that the Lord's not using you. He is. But the reality is, I can't just say, well, here's this beautiful plan that, you know, that we had and we followed, and as the result, you know, this is what you see. What, I, what I've done is just really sought to follow the Lord and feed you God's word and let the Lord work. Let the Lord move in your lives. And, uh, you know, we, our church is very different now than it was when we started. We've got a, a church that is full of children now. And it is so wonderful to see. Um, the, there are couples in this church that are essential foundational couples that I had the privilege of officiating weddings for. And now they have children and have been married for, you know, many years. Um, God has done all of these things 
and I trust that he is going to continue to lead us. Um, he has provided for us, and I'm going to trust that he's going to continue to provide for us. Um, so uh, they were thrust out at that point in time. And that's the, the, the substance behind the Feast of Unleavened Bread, right? Uh, when God says go, we don't hesitate. When God says go, you don't say no. When God says go, you don't say, whoa, wait, ho, I, I got to think about this. When God says go, you get up and go. Amen? You say, well, but I don't know that it is the Lord that is saying that. Ah, that's the rub, isn't it? And that's why I am continually teaching you from his word. Because the only way you're going to learn what God's voice sounds like when he speaks to you, that still small voice, when he speaks to you in your heart, is to know what he has revealed in his word, to know how he has spoken to his people throughout holy history. I like what um, Rick Warren has to say in this context. He says, quit listening for a voice and look for a verse. Amen? God will move you to respond to his holy word. You need to know this word. You need to know it forward and you need to know it backward. You need to memorize it. Because when the Holy Spirit speaks, he's going to use this to speak. You know, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he could have just said, devil, back off. I'm the son of God. But see, the devil wanted him to doubt in his incarnate state, in his emptied human state, he wanted the devil that is, Satan that is, wanted Jesus to doubt who he was. So he said, if you are the son of God, and then three temptations, right? Uh, command that these stones become bread, jump from the, the top of the temple and demonstrate that you have the, the backing of the father and the angels, or just bow down and worship me and I'll give you all these people. You don't have to die for them. Each time, each time Jesus was tempted, what did he do? He quoted scripture. You want to be like Jesus? Learn this. Amen? Get this in your mind. Get this in your heart. It's absolutely essential. There are so many lies that are being told in the world today. And people are departing from this. And it is to their peril. But as long as you keep coming here, I'm not going to let you do that. All right. Well, that's a long introduction, but I promise I'll be done by noon. All right. So I'm going to read this chapter. Uh, this is chapter 14, and I am going to be reading from my new nifty Bible. Isn't it great? You like my new Bible, Craig? The, the new New American Standard. This is the third. Craig loves Bibles more than I do. So, But I have quite a collection of Bibles. This is uh, Exodus chapter 14, and uh, I don't know if I'll read the whole thing, but pretty much close to the whole thing, all right? So hang in your spurs, as one of my old uh, preachers used to say, and listen to what God's Word says. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp in front of Pi-Hahiroth between Migdal and the sea. So the people had left Egypt, and they were in the wilderness, and this is where God says for them to camp. You shall camp in front of Baal Zephon, opposite it, by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the sons of Israel, they are wandering aimlessly in the land, and the wilderness has shut them in. 
and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them. And I will be honored through Pharaoh, and all his army and the Egyptians will know that I am the I am, that I am the Lord, that I am Yahweh. That's God's personal name used right there. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart toward the people. Now remember, this has happened over and over again. Every time Pharaoh has said, yes, you can go, he changes his mind. He changes his mind. You know, a lot of us are kind of like Pharaoh. And you know, we go with our feelings. I'm just going to go with my gut on this one. The reality is if you just keep following your emotions, your emotions change back and forth, swing all around, right? He should have been listening to the truth of God's word, but he didn't trust the Lord. He didn't know the Lord. So he just followed his emotions and his emotion changed again. He had a change of heart toward the people. And they said, what is this that we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? They let all of their slaves go. Now they were going to have to actually work. Golly. So he had horses harnessed to his chariot and took his people with him. He took 600 select chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. So the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Literally in the Hebrew, he made strong Pharaoh's heart, right? So if we follow the pattern that occurs with Pharaoh and the plagues, initially Pharaoh hardens his own heart. But eventually, after Pharaoh has hardened his heart so many times, it is the Lord who hardens Pharaoh's heart. And I've said this many times, uh, but I liken it to what we in karate call makawara work, right? So um, you can set up special uh, posts that you wrap with uh, rope or you, you uh, cover with leather and you strike that post and you keep striking that post again and again and again. And the purpose behind striking the post is to make your hands into weapons. What happens is you, you get calluses and you see these old senseis uh, in Okinawa. I've been watching lots of video on YouTube and it's wonderful because they get inside these little dojos with these guys that have been you know, doing what they do in Okinawa since they were children. And a lot of these guys are now in their 80s and they still have these amazing, huge calluses on their knuckles, right? I, I sent uh, Pastor Craig a, um, a link to a video of a, a master of one of these schools. And he's like, what did it say? He was like 83, I think, right? And he's got a striking board and he's hitting that thing so hard. That's an 83-year-old man that you don't want to get hit by, okay? But he's taken away all of the feeling from his knuckles so that when he hits something, that, that fist is a weapon. Now, this is the problem with most people is, number one, they don't know how to make a fist. And number two, they don't know where to hit on the fist. And number three, their fist is not uh, cal their knuckles are not callous. Their, their fist is not trained. And so you have a lot of times, you know, guys get into bar fights and they got their, their, their hand is all broken up and whatever. That's because you don't know how to use it, right? Now, it's one thing to get calluses on your knuckles and to toughen your fists and turn that into a weapon. You don't want that to happen to your heart. And this is what happens when you continually disobey God. When you continually come up against the Lord. When you reject the Holy Spirit's movement in your heart. You're striking, 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 or you're allowing something, to say the word of God, to strike, strike, strike your heart, and it makes your heart calloused. 
And my friend, that is not what you and I want. But that's exactly what happened with Pharaoh. And so now it is the Lord that hardens Pharaoh's heart. I had a professor that said, um, and, and I concur with this because I've encountered many people who have rejected God. And it wasn't that God went into Pharaoh's heart and forced him to refuse. It is that now, objectively, God, the presentation of God and his word to Pharaoh was a hardening experience. Well, here's the practical example of that. I've encountered people who, when they were younger, perhaps, went to church. Um, maybe they were involved in children's ministry or youth group. And they got out into the world and uh, they started doing things that, uh, that moved them further and further away from the Word of God and further from God. And so you encounter someone like this and you try to represent Jesus. And, and, and you don't do it in a way that is, that is harsh or hateful or uh, is uh, trying to uh, demonstrate that you're better than them, you're some holier-than-thou person. You just present the Lord, right? Or you quote Scripture to them and it's like, you know, a cross to a vampire. They're like, <laughs> get that away from me. What are you saying right now? And this is what we encounter in the world right now. Um, it was once, you know, this is just someone else's, someone's personal choice. But now you have people that are politically aligned. And if you quote the word of God, uh, you know, th that's what's happening. So that's what we have here, right? So he harnesses his horses uh, to his chariots and 600 chariots. Now, I think that that's interesting. I won't go into detail because I don't have time today. Um, but the word that is translated, it says that 600,000 Israelite men left Egypt. But the word that is translated in Hebrew uh, for, uh, is translated by most of our English translation as thousand, really represents divisions. 600 Israelite divisions. And we don't know how many people were in each of those divisions but it was likely less than a thousand in each of those divisions. Um, but it is interesting, I think, that there were 600,000, 600 divisions, and Pharaoh uh, had 600 chariots chasing them. Verse nine, then the Egyptians chased after them with all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh with his horsemen and his army, and they overtook them camping by the sea beside uh, Pai Hachirot in front of Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached the sons of Israel, as Pharaoh approached, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were coming after them, and they became very frightened. And so the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Verse 13. But Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, this is of Yahweh, which he will perform for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see again, ever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? <laughs> I love this. Craig pointed this out to me not too long ago. After Moses has made this grand pronouncement, he probably turned around and said, Lord, now what do I do? <laughs> what in the world do I do? The Lord will save you. How? Is <laughs> there literally, you know, caught between the devil and the deep blue sea here, right? Um, 
Verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. So they're right up against the sea already. Presumably, they're just going to go right up to the edge of the water right there. Okay. As for you, lift up your staff and reach out with your hand over the sea and divide it. And the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. And as for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will be honored through Pharaoh and his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians will know that I am the I am when I am honored through Pharaoh, through his chariots and through his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been going before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. See, stopping the Egyptian army from coming any further. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them in front of them and stood behind them. So the angel, so that we'll, we'll see in a minute very quickly, I'll, I'll talk about this, but there was a pillar of, of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And this followed the Israelites or the Israelites followed it throughout their wilderness experience for many, many years. So it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel and there was the cloud along with the darkness, yet it gave light at night. Therefore, the one uh, the one did not approach the other all night. That is, the Egyptians did not approach the Israelites all night. Then Moses reached out with his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right and on their left. Then the Egyptians took up the pursuit and all Pharaoh's horses and his chariots and his horsemen went in after them, went in after them into the midst of the sea. But at the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve and he made them drive with difficulty. So the Egyptians each said, let me flee from Israel for the Lord is fighting for them and against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out with your hand over the sea so that the waters may come back over the Egyptians, over their chariots and their horsemen. So Moses reached out with his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal state at daybreak while the Egyptians were fleeing right into it. Then the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, Pharaoh's entire army that had gone into the sea after them. Not even one of them remained, but the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Amen? So that's the story. If you don't pay attention to all of my points, you've at least heard the, the word of God, and you've heard that story, okay? So I want you to know, number one, God led Moses and the children of Israel into this impossible situation. Did you notice that? God was the one that led them into the situation. If you read chapter 13 and chapter 14, and we just read the majority, uh, almost all but one verse of chapter 14, you see that God led them into this impossible situation. And the reality is sometimes God is leading you. And you think that he should have let you take the easy route, and he has not let you take the easy route. Maybe you feel that you are between the devil and the deep blue sea, and you're in this impossible situation. My friend, I assure you, if God has led you, God will save you. God will provide for you. Number two, God recognized that Israel was not yet ready to fight 
their own battles. This is why he led them, the, the direction that he led them toward the sea. Um, I won't get into geography significantly here, but had they taken the southern route along the edge of the Mediterranean, they would have encountered uh, people who would have fought against them. Listen to what it says in Exodus 13, 17. Now when Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not let them, excuse me, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. For God said the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So although they were set up in divisions, and these are military terms, this word um, that is translated thousand is actually uh, also represents a tribe or division, and it can be used as a military term. And they went out by divisions, but they weren't ready to fight yet, and God knew that they weren't ready to fight yet. So he brought them to a place where only he could save them. Amen? God brought them to a place where nobody else could claim credit. Only God could save them in the situation that he had led them in. So he brought them to that place. This is what it says. By the way, the last verse I read was Exodus 13, 17. This is Exodus 13, 18, the very next verse. Therefore God led the people around by way of the wilderness to the Red Sea, and the sons of Israel, there it, here it is, went up in battle formation from the land of Egypt. So they were in battle formation, but they weren't ready to do battle yet. Um, God is seeking to train you, men and women, to be men and women of war. Yeah, we talk about a culture war going on, but it is a spiritual war. That's the war that we need to fight. You don't need to fight the Democrats. You don't need to fight the, fight the Republicans. You don't need to fight this leader or that leader. You need to fight the powers and principalities uh, that are led by the prince of the power of the air. That is who is deceiving men and women today. And it is a spiritual battle that we need to fight, right? Uh, number three, when the Lord leads, he is with you day and night to protect, to guide, and to provide. When the Lord leads... Not when you scramble off and do your own thing, okay? Some of us put ourselves in impossible situations, and I'm not going to say that the Lord will refrain from saving you, but some of us put ourselves in impossible situations because we've simply followed our flesh. We followed the, the, the words of human beings that don't follow the Lord, right? So the Israelites were following Moses who followed the instruction of the Lord. Sometimes we put ourselves in these situations. But if the Lord is leading you, if he is guiding you, then he is going to provide for you. Amen? Day and night. Listen to what it says. Uh, I talked to you about the pillar of cloud and fire, and you heard a bit of it in uh, chapter 14. This is uh, Exodus 13, 21 and 22. And the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way, and a pillar of fire by night to give them light, so that they might travel by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from the presence of the people. That should be comforting for you. Now, granted, you don't see this tangible pillar of fire or cloud in your life. No, you have something better. If you have Jesus in your heart, you have the presence of God living in you. You have the presence of the Holy Spirit in you, guiding you day and night. As it says in Isaiah chapter 30, you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk thou in it. That is that voice, that still small voice of the Spirit who leads you. And when the Spirit leads, He is going to give you provision uh, wherever He leads you. Number four, 
Um, God leading doesn't stop Satan from pursuing you. The devil is never happy when God sets you free. But God has a plan in bringing this opposition. God will be honored when he utterly destroys your enemies. So I want you to think about that as an application for what I'm about to read here. You see, the people were set free, but that didn't stop the devil's army, which was Egypt, from chasing them down. And you may be doing everything the Lord is leading you to do. And you encounter opposition. And you're being chased. And you say, I don't understand this. Why is this happening to me? Whoa, whoa, woe is me. Why does everything always happen to me? Sometimes when you're doing God's will, that's exactly why it's happening to you, right? And God is going to get glory from it. Listen to uh, the, the, this is uh, the passage from Exodus 14, uh, which you've already heard. But um, the scripture said, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will chase after them. And I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the I am. That's exactly what happened. God is seeking to gain glory from the situation that you are facing. God has a plan. So all you need to know is that God is leading you. And if God is leading you, then all you have to do is follow. You don't have to worry about anything else because God is going to provide for you. God is going to fight for you. Number five, remember, if God is for you, when the Lord is with you, then no one or nothing can stand against you. Romans 8.31 says, if God is for us, who can stand against us? Who can stand against you if God is for you, friend? Nobody. Nothing. So when you're standing between the devil and the deep blue sea, you've just got to stand still and wait for the Lord to provide. Amen? you got to wait for the Lord to save. you got to wait for his voice to lead, to guide, right? So what do you do then when you're trapped between Satan's forces and an uncrossable barrier? What do you do when you're trapped between the devil and the deep blue sea? Here's what the scripture said, Exodus 14, 13. This is the ESV. Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of your God. Amen? You don't run back to Egypt. You don't commit suicide and jump into the ocean. You don't try to run sideways. You stand firm. You stand unafraid. And you watch to see the salvation of your God. Now, I can tell you, I don't have time to tell you all of the anecdotes and uh, personal experiences here, but I've encountered numerous times when I have been in one of these situations, when I have been attacked by individuals, I don't mean like in a fist fight or something like that, and I didn't know what to do. I wanted to be defensive and fight for myself, but I can remember on uh, a couple of occasions clearly uh, hearing the Lord speak this scripture to me, right? And the next one, the next verse as well, which we'll get to in just a moment. Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of your God. Well, God, I don't know what to do. Stop worrying. Stop crying out. I'm going to take care of it, right? And sometimes, you know, God waits until the very last minute, at least as far as we're concerned. I know that that happens. Um, so when, number seven, when you lack the strength, the skill, and the smarts to fight the enemy, 
Trust God to fight for you. This is uh, Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be silent. And it can also mean you need to stand still. Stop shaking. Stop crying out. Stop worrying. The Lord will fight for you. All you have to do is watch and wait. Be silent. I love uh, Psalm 46.10 in this context, right? It says, be still and know that I am God. And that could also be translated, cease striving. You see, some of us are doers, okay? We want to get it done. Uh, Pastor Craig had a wonderful Bible study this morning. He talked about uh, Martha and Mary, uh, the, the story where <laughs> Mary was sitting listening to the Lord teach, and Martha was scrambling around, and she's doing all the cooking and all the cleaning, and she finally just comes out of the kitchen, she's probably got her apron on, and throws it on the ground. I'm imagining this part. Okay. And she comes up to Jesus. Maybe she had tears in her eyes, and she said, Lord, I have so much to do. Tell my sister to help me. Oh, man. Now, Mary could have been lazy. It's possible. There's some lazy people that will rather sit in a Bible study and do nothing and let other people run around the church and do everything. But the Lord commended her, that is Mary. And he said, Martha, Martha, you're worried about so many things. But Mary has chosen the better part. I think more of us need to learn to be Mary. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't work or nothing gets done. But we need to learn to be still and pay attention to the Lord. Amen? Um, so I also, uh, I was really done with this message. And then in my daily reading, I encountered, or I should say re-encountered, uh, Zephaniah 3. Uh, and uh, I've been very familiar with Zephaniah 3.17 for some time, but here's the whole context. This is Zep Zephaniah 3.14-17. through 17. Shout for joy, daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, Israel. Rejoice in triumph with all your heart, daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away his judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You will no longer fear disaster. Can you hear that word? Can you hear that word for you? The Lord is in your midst. You will no longer fear disaster. On that day, it will be said to Jerusalem, do not be afraid, Zion. Do not let your hands fall limp. You know what happens when your, your hands fall limp? You're scared. Okay. I can remember not too long ago, we had a, a number of our kids and we were doing a sparring session and there was a young man in there and, uh, you know, he had his gloves up and he got hit. And then he dropped his hands because it hurt. And it scared him, right? He had tears in his eyes. We tried to get him to raise his guard. He wouldn't raise his guard. He just threw his hands down and just left them down. So that's what happens when you just give up, right? You just, no, I don't want to do this anymore. You're just too scared, whatever it is, okay? But the reality is we're allowing the Lord to fight for us. And here, it says, okay, I'm going to fight for you, but more than that, I'm going to fight with you. On that day, it will be said to Jerusalem, don't be afraid, Zion. Don't let your hands fall limp. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will rejoice over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. 
He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. Wow, that's awesome, okay? So finally, last one. I'm a minute over, but hey, it's okay. When there's no way, Yahweh makes a way, amen? You say, man, there's no way. I have no idea what we're gonna do. I don't know where this money's gonna come from. I don't know where I'm supposed to go. I had somebody last week share with me that uh, they're living in a situation now where they've been renting their home and you know what's going on right now with the housing market, right? So whoever's renting this home wants to sell the home. They're probably uh, you know, thinking they can make a lot of money. If they've been renting to these people for some time, they know that they can rent for much more money right now. Yeah, I'm gonna tell you what we, what we have a problem with right now. We have a problem with greed right now. That's what we have a problem with right now. There are a whole lot of people having a difficult time, but there's a lot of greedy people out there that are just taking advantage of this situation. But the Lord's gonna bless his people, you watch. But uh, this blessed person was telling me, hey man, pray, pray for us because we're, we're on a countdown right now. There's, you know, I think that the person told me they had 40 some days um, before they had to find another home. And they're having a hard time finding another home that's affordable, as you would be well aware if you've done any shopping recently. Or even those of you that own a home, if you've seen that the value of your home has you know, gone up by 50 or $100,000, imagine those that don't have equity in another home trying to get into a home. Yeah, they're not going to. Simply, first time home buyers have just given up because there's no way. Ah, but when there's no way, Yahweh makes a way, amen? So I don't know. I don't know what the Lord's going to do, okay? But I know that when there's no way, Yahweh makes a way. And for us, that's always through Jesus. What did Jesus say in John 14, 6? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we need to trust the Lord Jesus. Um, we keep our eyes on Jesus. He's the champion who initiates and perfects our faith, it says in Hebrews 12, 2. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the presence of honor beside God's throne. And I started off really, uh, if you were paying attention to the uh, YouVersion Bible app, I, I started off with uh, this verse, and we, I wrote a whole play uh, with this as the title a couple of years ago for Christmas. But this is what you need to know. Nothing is impossible with God. You say, that's impossible for you. But for God, nothing is impossible. So, are you caught between the devil and the deep blue sea? Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of your God. What you need to do today is put your trust in Jesus. So we're going to sing, and uh, we're going to, Miss Mary and I and Pastor Craig are going to be down here. If you need to pray with somebody about any kind of situation, if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, man, all you got to do is reach up with that hand of faith and say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose from the grave. Take control of my life. Save me. I need you. Say that. Mean it. Call out to the Lord and he will save you.